Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Today's guest, Mary Higgins Clark, says that she was a writer from the time she could put two words together. She was always writing. But her success was achieved after experiencing setbacks that could easily have thrust her on a different path. Today, Mary is a New York Times bestselling author who has written 37 suspense novels, four collections of short stories, a historical novel, a memoir, and two children's books. More than 100 million copies of her books are in print in the United States alone. Mary's new book is You Don't Own Me. Welcome, Mary. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Joan. Mary, you say that you knew that you always wanted to be a writer. As a matter of fact, you say that you always were a writer. So what was it like for a woman at that time who was trying to break into the field? Well, it's always difficult to break into the field. Uh, I started with short story writing, and I I did start to sell. But the first time I sold for $100, I thought I had died and gone to heaven. Mm-hmm. Because I must have written eight or nine short stories and I'd been sending them out to the editors in those cold places on 6th Avenue where they were in their offices and rejecting everything. <laughs> I remember one, one editor wrote back to me, Mrs. Clark, your stories are light, slight, and trite. Uh-huh. And I thought, I'll get you, baby, I'll get you. (laughs) So I think one of the things that helped me was I always believed I was going to make it. Mm -hmm. I never thought when all the rejection slips came that I ought to quit and learn how to knit because I was positive I was going to make it. So when that first short story sold for $100, I could go out and legitimately say, I am a writer. It's that self-belief, Mary, because you hit the nail on the head. So many people who don't really believe in themselves, that's when they can get derailed by the negative feedback. But you had that self-belief that I I would assume was what propelled you forward. Yes, I think it was because I always loved to write. Mm -hmm. Always. I mean, I was writing in math class and science class in high school, and one time when I went back to Villa Maria Academy, Mother St. Thomas of Canterbury, 90 years old, sitting in a wheelchair, she never forgot any of us, the face. Mm -hmm. And when she saw me, now I have 15 first, first times bestseller on, and with those clear gray eyes, she said, you were a dreadful math student, Miss Hagen. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I curtsied to her, as we did in those days, and said, God bless your memory, Reverend Mother. So, Mary, later on, a little bit later on in life, you got married and, and you had a family. And then you were left a young widow when your husband passed away. 
many people would have used that experience in life as a reason to to put a dream aside or, or to not follow it at all. How did you manage that difficult time? And where do you think you were able to find the perseverance to, to follow your dream with such a devastating time? Well, you know, I felt I had no choice. The night Warren was buried, uh, I sat for a while in the big chair and thought my life is very different now. I will give it to the children because children miss a father terribly. I was 13 when my father died and I missed him all my life. You know, he would have given me away when I was married. He would have done this, he would have done that. And I knew the children would be the same way about their father. So I thought I have to do my very best to support them in every way. And of course, uh, financially, I had to support them because Warren did not have insurance. He had a, a bad heart. So you you don't you don't uh, question it. You just do it. And uh, my God, I have five great kids. Uh, two, my daughter and son are both judges. One of my uh, granddaughters is a scriptwriter in Hollywood. And the other two just did Carol as a writer. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the other two are in business. So they sure turned out all right. And God knows with the problems some people have had with the drug scene, it is such a, a gift that I had never had that trouble in my life. Do you think in, in your case... Your children turned out the way they did because of the role model that you set for them. I and I asked that question because I I didn't I went through a divorce and I was left with raising two children on my own. And and I was speaking recently and someone in the audience asked me, what do I think I taught my sons by moving forward and creating this brand and doing this work? And and I. And I answered, I had to think about it for a moment, and I answered that I think I taught them what a strong woman looks like, what resilience looks like. Do you think you taught that same lesson to your children? Well, I hope I did, because my mother was widowed with, uh, well, 13 and 8 and 14, and she had married at 40, so she was older in those days. You couldn't possibly go out and get a job. She did babysitting to try to support the three of us, mm-hmm. and we didn't have money. So I saw her example of what she had to deal with, and my brother at 18 died in service, and that, of course, for her was such a tragedy. But she still managed to to live with it, to not take it out on other people. So I remember that uh, the year after he died, she finally took off the black mourning because I was, I, I was graduating from high school. So all of these examples were there for me. Mm-hmm. I guess I had seen the pattern of where my life would be going. Yeah, everything that we experience in life prepares us for the next step where where we are heading and end. So, Mary, you've written 37 suspense novels, short stories, a memoir, children's books. Where do you get your inspiration to continue to keep writing? Some people have trouble writing one book. How are you able to do so many? Well, what has happened is that as I finish one book, Mm-hmm. It's as though I have saying goodbye to visitors and the other people are in the driveway saying, get rid of them, get rid of them. <laughs> we want to. <laughs> so it's always been rather like that. I read something in the newspaper and think there's a story there. I know there is. And it has always managed to be like that for me so that uh As I'm finishing one book, my mind is jumping into the next one. So pray God it keeps up because it's been going so far. I just saw that uh, 
the new book I write with Alifair has gone on the bestseller list in the, in the first week in print. Mm-hmm. So that's a joyous sight to find that it's, it's, it's still getting the readers out there. Mm-hmm. Have you ever experienced writer's block or do the stories continually come? Sure, every writer experiences writer block at some point. And what I do is I stare at that page and there are two words that come into my mind and I whisper them. Royalty checks. (laughs) (laughs) Mary, is your writing process, are you a disciplined writer? Do you sit down for a certain number of hours a day and say, I'm going to work? Or do you wait until you have the creative feeling that comes over you to write? Oh, no. I try to write, if not every day, because, of course, there are some days I have other things to do. But I want to be continuing. I never pick up a book and then think, oh, I'll put it away for a while. If the idea is good and the first 50 pages are miserable because I am so sure that the plot is rotten, the characters are dull, I might as well throw it out the window. And I was married 22 years ago, widow, widower. And the first year, John said to my daughter, one of my daughters, I'm so worried about your mother. The book she's writing isn't going to work. She's going to throw it out the window. And Patty said, oh, for God's sake, we've heard that for 30 books. I, I give myself the torture of waiting and working until the first 50 pages fall into place. When I read a book, I tend to feel like I know everyone in the story and they become my friend or someone that I don't like. Or You get that emotional connection to a character. What about you as the writer? Are there characters that you feel like they're just part of your life, that they really do exist? And are there some of them that you really don't like? Well, sure, because you've got to have uh, controversy in a book. You know, everybody can't be, I love you and you love me and let's love each other. Mm -hmm. Can't do it. You've got to have someone in there or maybe several people who are potential killers, who are jealous, who are following you, and... You can always come up with someone who is that kind of person. There was one guy who lived in the neighborhood where I lived in like 40 years ago, and he was kind of weird. He Mm -hmm. kept talking about how he loved guns. Uh, He was threatening someone who just walked on his property, and he became a character in A Stranger Is Watching. Mm-hmm. I was very grateful to him because he gave me the inspiration for that kind of person. And a guy I worked for once uh, when I was writing radio shows, he was tremendously difficult. Nothing ever pleased him. If you sold three radio series, why didn't I sell four? And he became the character in this book, the producer in... Uh, the Laurie, the Under Suspicion series, because I could see that guy sitting at the his desk, calling someone in, and right away getting on them. When are you going to be finished? But, you know, we want to get the, get the ratings up. So sometimes you absolutely have a real live character who becomes a lovely part of the book. Has anyone that you know ever come up to you and said, that was based on me, or, or they've seen themselves in one of your stories? Well, it was interesting. In one of the books, there was a gal we went to uh, the academy with, and she was both very pretty and very poised, more so by far than most 13-year-olds. And when I was writing one of the books, uh, I thought, there's Leola. She's the person. And it was very funny because... Years later, and she had died quite young, I found out, her daughter came up to me and said, you were writing about my mother. 
she's the character in that book, isn't she? And I said, absolutely right. Not the circumstances of the book, of course, but the way she thought and acted. So, Mary, tell us about your new book, You Don't Own Me. What inspired this story? Well, four or five years ago, Simon and Schuster called me and said, we like the character Laurie Moran in in the the book. I've got my eyes on you. I, no, I don't know which one it was at the moment. Uh-huh. But we want that character and that situation to continue. We know you don't want to write two books in one year. And I said, oh, God, no, I can't do that. But they said, if you have a co-writer, uh, you might be interested. And I said, with a co-writer, I, I would be interested. So they sent me the books and bios of four different writers. And the minute I read Alifair's book and bio, I said, she's the one. I know I can write seamlessly with her. And that's what we've been doing, having fun doing it, challenging ourselves to do a good and different story. And the the new one is is just now going on the bestseller list. It just came out, and it went right on the list. So we're doing something right. Why do you enjoy writing suspense novels? It's just in my blood. Even when I was a little kid and you do sleepovers uh, with, uh, you know, 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, I would say, let's turn out the light and have just one candle. And we know that someone is looking in the window. And then I'd look at one of them. Mary Catherine, he's the one who is staring at you. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> I was doing that as a child. I've always said that the fairy godmothers give all of us a gift, and maybe, maybe a lot, maybe just one. Well, I can sing a note. I was never much of a cook. I can't sew. My daughters tell me and remind me their hems of their uniforms were scotch-taped. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that I can do is write. It just comes to me naturally. It's the one gift that I got, and I'm awfully glad I got it. So what's next for you, Mary? What's going to happen in the new year? Well, in the new year, I'm working on a book right now. It won't be ready for, for Mother's Day, but I'm working on it. And it's called He Kissed the Girls and Made Them Cry. From Georgie Porgie Pudenbar, He Kissed the Girls and Made Them Cry. So that's the book I'm writing about, but it's not about Georgie Porgie. Well, we'll have to have you come back on the show and talk about that when it comes out. Oh, that would be lovely. I'd enjoy doing it very much, very much, Joan. So the book is You Don't Own Me by Mary Higgins Clark. If you would like to get more information about Mary and her work, you can visit MaryHigginsClark.com. Mary, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Each time I want the book to be something that really people can wrap themselves in. I have gotten letters from from uh, my readers There was one years ago who wrote, I'm a single mother, and my six-year-old had leukemia. She said, I never left him, and for six weeks he was in danger, and I got through it by reading your books. And I thought, if if I was able to do that to someone in dire circumstances, then I feel as though I've done something worthwhile. Mary, thank you so much for being here with us. The way you ended this interview, that's exactly how I was going to end it, because your work has touched so many lives. You've you've given us hope. You've given us inspiration. You've entertained us. So I am certainly happy that the fairy godmother blessed you with the gift of writing, because you have shared it with all of us. So thank you. Thank you so much, Joan. Lovely to be with you. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Imagine running your own business that generates seven figures in revenue. If this sounds like something you'd like to achieve, then join me on Wednesday, December 12th for a special Conversations with Joan event, Building a Million Dollar Business. My guest will be Elaine Pofelt, a writer for Forbes.com. Elaine will explain how to identify, launch, and grow a high-revenue earning business. She'll discuss why this is a good time to start a business, the challenges entrepreneurs face, the top categories for earning seven figures, and how to get on track to achieve high earnings. The event will be held at the Raphael Center in Clifton, New Jersey. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash conversations. I hope to see you there. Let's start talking. Soul by Rain is produced from various seed flowers. Its primary ingredients hail from the black cumin seed and the black raspberry seed. These two combine to provide a powerful antioxidant barrier against the devastating effects of stress. Soul by Rain has been hailed as one of the most important anti-aging antioxidants ever discovered. Soul is an anti-inflammatory and it helps prevent and repair radical damages for a healthier heart. Get your soul by calling your rain partner, Elmina Ziza, at 973 2221154 Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. It's time for To Your Health. Joining me today is Dr. Lorraine Maida, a functional and integrative medicine physician who practices anti-aging medicine, executive health, hormone replacement therapy, and weight management. She's the author of Vibrance for Life, How to Live Younger and Healthier. Dr. Maida is here today to discuss the top household products that harm our health. Welcome, Dr. Maida. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Joan. So, Doctor, autoimmune disorders, allergies, asthma, obesity, all of these are on the rise. And I think the chemicals that surround us in our home, I think that's something we don't even think about. So what role do chemicals play in these and other illnesses? Chemicals disrupt our hormones and our immune system, and, and our hormones and immune system kind of take control of everything, and they're the ones that are going to help us have good health or disease. So when the immune system gets turned on, it increases inflammation. Now, you need it if you have an, you know, a virus or an infection, but when it doesn't turn off, you get continued inflammation, and that is what may lead to chronic pain disease, autoimmune disorders. And think about it. The average woman puts about 515 synthetic chemicals on her body on a daily basis. So getting clean and green is important for prevention. And I love the website, the Environmental Working Group, ewg.org, because they have an app that allows you to scan the barcode on products and it rates them for safety. Because you'd be astounded at even the ones that say they're clean and green, uh, or green could be green for the environment, but not green for your health. So things like red lipstick may contain lead. Shampoos, lotions, conditioners, creams contain parabens, phthalates, sodium lauryl sulfate, and fragrance. All of these disrupt hormones and immune system. And fragrance is a generic term for proprietary undisclosed mixture of various scent chemicals and ingredients. They're chemicals. Fragrance is or ch- chemicals. And I always switch to essential oils because you know what they are and they're not harmful. So things that have fragrance in it 
and that's just about every product I know of on the market, should be avoided. Well, doctor, the statement you made, the average woman puts 515 synthetic chemicals in or on her body on a daily basis. That's astounding and alarming. What other products should we be concerned about? Our household products. The average home contains at least 62 toxic chemicals. And one of the big offenders that can harm health that I started researching are air fresheners. They contain what's known as volatile organic compounds, VOCs, and you know they always have long names. Just think of something that could be aerosolized, volatile. They're 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 not seen, but they emit a scent and an odor. So it doesn't matter if you put them on your skin; you're breathing them in. So when they get in the air, they can irritate the lungs and the nasal passages and aggravate asthma. They've also been linked to neurological damage and cancer. There's been, you know, studies, and they found 12 out of 14 widely available air fresheners contain phthalates. We talked about phthalates being an immune and hormone disruptors. And they were labeled as all-natural or unscented. So you really have to read the labels because I got fooled by that, too. They show pictures of pretty flowers. Your, your best bet if you want to freshen the air is to boil some cloves and cinnamon wrapped in a cheesecloth or use some essential oils. There's a green guide. They suggest mixing a few drops of organic essential oils like lemon, orange, lavender with distilled or purified water and spraying it in a mister. That will be better than any kind of chemical air freshener you have. And then Mother Nature does a good job with plants. You know, there's... Spider plants are known for their ability to take out xylene and carbon carbon monoxide out of the air. And Gerber daisies excel at removing trichloroethylene that may come home with your dry cleaning. So aloe vera is another plant that can filter out benzene and formaldehyde. So fill your home with plants, spritz the air with essential oils, and avoid all those chemicals that disrupt your hormones and your immune system. It's amazing what we don't know about some of the products we use every day. Can you give us another offender? This one surprised me a lot because I thought it was very innocuous and innocent. But dryer sheets and fabric softeners, that really surprised me uh, regarding the amount of chemicals they had in them. When researchers sampled laundry emissions after using these scented, again, a fragrance, fabric softening and dryer sheets, they found 25 volatile organic compounds. They were released from the dryer vents into the air, and some of them were not safe at any level, like acetaldehyde and benzene. They can trigger allergy. These, they're volatile organic compounds, and they can trigger allergy and asthma attacks, headaches, and even gastrointestinal illnesses. So our world has become so complex and seemingly innocuous products labeled natural with pictures of flowers and babies on the label can actually be hazardous to your health. So consult somebody, consult the website, the Environmental Working Group, ewg.org, or a functional medicine physician who's knowledgeable. I have somebody on staff who specializes in creating healthy cleaning products that are a lot safer and a lot cheaper than anything you're going to buy in the store. Dr. Mehta, thank you so much for being here and for sharing this life-changing information. I hope everyone is listening to what you're saying today because this affects all of us. If you would like to learn more, you can visit Dr. Mehta's website, howtoliveyounger.com. And as always, to hear more from Dr. Mehta, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Lorraine. We'll be right back. Imagine running your own business that generates seven figures in revenue. If this sounds like something you'd like to achieve, then join me on Wednesday, December 12th for a special Conversations with Joan event, Building a Million Dollar Business. My guest will be Elaine Pofelt, a writer for Forbes.com. Elaine will explain how to identify, launch, and grow a high-revenue earning business. She'll discuss why this is a good time to start a business, the challenges entrepreneurs face, the top categories for earning seven figures, and how to get on track to achieve high earnings. The event will be held at the Raphael Center in Clifton, New Jersey. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash conversations. I hope to see you there. Let's start talking.
In a moment, cancer changed our lives forever. At this moment, St. Jude Children's Research Hospital is saving lives with pioneering research and care. And we'll never have to pay St. Jude for anything, ever. At this moment, she wants to be in her own bed. I want to be back at school with my friends. I want to be outside playing. Please take a moment and visit stjude.org today. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Every minute of every day, we have instant communication, constant distractions, and never ending thoughts. Life is no longer just busy, it's messy. According to today's guest, Ryder Carroll, it's time to declutter using a pen, paper, a bullet, and a few lines. Creator of the Bullet Journal, Ryder demonstrates intentional living, defining what's meaningful, shifting focus away from distractions, and working on fewer things to spend more time with what you care about. Ryder has been featured by the New York Times, Los Angeles Times, Bloomberg, and Mashable. Ryder is the author of The Bullet Journal Method. Welcome, Ryder. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Ryder, why did you create the Bullet Journal? I created the Bullet Journal in response to my own productivity challenges. It wasn't something that came fully formed. It's a result of years of experimenting with different tools and techniques and trying to invent things that worked more like my mind worked. So what, what were some of your about. challenges? What were you experiencing that you needed a solution for? When I was very young, it became evident that I had learning disabilities, and over time, I was diagnosed with ADD. So for me, my challenges revolved around focus and organization and general productivity. So the way that other people took notes was not the way that worked for me, and the way that other people got organized didn't necessarily work for me, so I had to figure out ways to do that on my own. Give us a general overview. What is it, and how does it work? Sure. The shortest way of describing what the bullet journal method is, is that it's a mindfulness practice that's disguised as a productivity system, and it requires nothing more than pen and paper, more or less. So it has two different components, the system and the practice. And the system is what people are more familiar with. And essentially, you can think of it as a Lego set, where every one of the pieces serves a very specific function. And in this case, it's organizing related pieces of information. So for example, you could organize a project or keep notes on your day, write your book, or you know, just have a shopping list. Essentially, the user of the bullet journal is encouraged to design their own tools within the framework that I provide. And uh, they're basically all these little tools are known as collections. And there are four core collections, and those collections are there to help you organize you on a daily basis, on a monthly basis, on a yearly basis. And then one of the collections basically helps you keep track of your content within your notebook so you don't lose any of your content. But that's really the beginning. It's the foundation on which people start to build their own tool. So the bullet journal system, if you will, is kind of like a toolkit. And it's designed to change over time to adapt to the different circumstances of its user. And then on the other hand, you have the practice. And the practice is there to encourage us to really examine our own experience on an ongoing basis and build a habit of introspection. What are the benefits of writing? Why did you choose to create a system that's based around pen and paper? Oh, I guess the simplest answer is I didn't really have a choice. When I started designing it, you know, I was a child, and the only real tool you have is your notebook in class. Mm-hmm. And over the years, as technology became more and more ubiquitous, um, I found that going back to my notebook was a really powerful way of clarifying my own mind and my thoughts. So I've been a digital product designer for about 12 years at this point, and at no point in that time did I find a more effective way of actually thinking about the tools, even if they're, they're digital, uh, than by using pen and paper. Like, there's just no friction. You don't have to really learn how to use the app. You don't have to learn how to use the design tool. It just gives you the safe place to learn how to think. And at first, it was very tactical, like, okay, this is how I'm going to design this. But over time, I realized when I used the same approach with figuring out 
what was meaningful in my own life, things changed significantly because writing by hand forces you to disconnect. It forces you to go offline. And in that space, you're significantly less distracted, right? Where mm-hmm. a lot of productivity apps, you sit down to plan out your month. The next thing you know, you're buying shoes and you have no idea how you got from one place mm-hmm. to the other. When you sit down with your notebook, you are disconnected. The only thing you're really connecting with is your own mind. I think that's really important in becoming significantly more rare in our life. Your approach, it works for me. It's a dream for me because that is how I organize my life, pen and paper. With all of the technology, I find it's most effective for the way my brain works as well. Yeah, I think that technology can be very useful in many regards. You know, I I can appreciate it. I designed it myself. And I think technology is very good at connecting us with the world around us, but it's not so good at connecting us with the world within. You know, Ryder, we hear so much today about people being able to accomplish more by working on less. And I know that you're a believer of that. Why is that a philosophy of yours? Well, I think that we live in a time where essentially it's very easy to create a never-ending to-do list. And the more things that you the more things you let into your life, the less focus you have to spend on any of those things, right? So if you have a to-do list that's 24 items long, then every one of those things will benefit from less attention, you know, or not, not benefit from the attention that it deserves. The more focus that we can bring to anything that we do, the more chances it has of succeeding or at least progressing faster. Because the thing is, we, we, we've heard a lot about multitasking, but from what I've seen in the studies I've read, you're not really multitasking. Essentially, what you're doing is fracturing your attention. And like that attention isn't really being placed on anything directly. Like if you work on three things, your attention is divided. And in that case, nothing really is making progress the way that it needs to be. Before we run out of time, can you offer one or two strategies that can help us increase productivity? Certainly. I think one thing is becoming significantly more mindful about what you let into your life, right? I think if everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. And I think one way that you can go about that is by curating your to-do lists consistently. One simple technique is when you look at your to-do list, ask yourself, what would happen if I never did this thing, right? Just because something can be done doesn't mean it needs to be done. And asking yourself that can very quickly reduce the amount of things that you task yourself with. And then another another quick test is like when you're looking at these things, ask yourself, is it vital? Think rent, taxes, those kind of things. Things you get in trouble for if you didn't do it. And is, does it matter on a very basic level to you or to somebody you love? Like, does it actually matter? Why am I spending my incredibly valuable time and energy pursuing this thing or doing this thing? And I think once we start engaging with our to-do lists this way, they can become significantly more targeted. And then lastly, I would say get into a habit of doing that. Like I think if we leave our to-do lists untended, they'll just grow indefinitely. And I think it's really important to get into a routine of calling, essentially, and curating the things that we let into our life. The book is The Bullet Journal Method, Track the Past, Order the Present, Design the Future by Ryder Carroll. Ryder, thank you so much for spending time with us today and for sharing some great tips to help us be more productive. Thank you for having me. We'll be right back. Professional organizers are change agents. We are in the business of meeting people where they are and taking them where they want to go. Hi, I'm Gail Gruenberg, CPOCD, Chief Executive Organizer of Let's Get Organized. As a professional organizing firm, we help clients organize their lives as well as their homes. We specialize in serving young families and clients who are chronically disorganized. Meeting you where you are requires a certain skill set. An organizer has to be able to observe and assess not only the physical status of a space, but also the stage of life of the client, his or her current mindset, core values, belief system, skills and talents, challenges, goals, desires, and schedule. We have to hear what is said and listen for what is not said. We have to feel a client's emotions around their possessions. We have to be resilient when a client has an outburst of emotion that is vented on us but is intended for someone else. We have to have enough focus, clarity, and vision for two people to see what a client's space and life can become by changing things just a little bit. We have to have patience 
patience with a client's pace for getting motivated, making decisions, and being ready to take action, especially when we have energy to spare and are raring to go. We have to be satisfied that our clients are satisfied with their progress, even when we think we've gotten nothing done. If you're challenged by clutter and are ready to accept outside help, call me. I can help bridge the gap between wanting to get organized and actually doing it. Call me at 201-364-6833 or visit lgorganized.com. When it comes to your career, do you feel hopelessly trapped? Caught at a crossroads with nowhere to turn? Hi, I'm Amy Blumberg, an executive and leadership coach. But many of my clients call me the dot connector. If you're what I call a transitioner, someone who's been downsized, ready for a change, willing to explore new opportunities, take a risk, or having difficulty navigating a new job, you need to remove roadblocks, address your fears, and think creatively. Here are three strategies from my Nine Building Dots program. One, start by identifying your passion. Think about what excites you and where you would rather be spending your time and energy. Two, embrace change. Make sense of what is stopping you and remove the barriers that are getting in your way from reaching your goals. And three, explore opportunities you've never considered before. Determine what actions you need to take to make this shift and seek out resources to build an easily executable success plan. I can help you connect the dots because I've been a transitioner too. With one-on-one thoughtful direction, I can help you make the right strategic decisions to vault you from where you are to unlimited possibilities. So let's connect and trap yourself. For more details and contact information, go to amyblumbergcoaching.com. That's A-M-I-E-B-L-U-M-B-E-R-G coaching.com. At Amy Blumberg Coaching, I connect people and possibilities. The holidays can be a source of joy for many, but also a source of depression and anxiety. The season can trigger feelings of loneliness and isolation, and they can also trigger substance abuse. Hello, I'm Davita Joy Rabinowitz, a licensed clinical social worker with my own private practice. Feelings of happiness, love, and high spirits over the holidays can also be accompanied by feelings of fatigue, stress, irritability, and sadness. Stress levels can increase during the holiday season due to the lack of time, lack of money, commercialism, the pressures of gift giving, and family gatherings. Financial stress due to holiday spending is a huge factor, which affects one's mood. There is a difference between the holiday blues, which typically go away when the holiday season ends, and more severe depression, which lasts longer and interferes with day-to-day living. If the holiday season passes and you are still feeling depressed or anxious, it's best to seek treatment. Give yourself a gift this season and take care of your mental health needs. For more information about my services and or therapy in general, please contact me through DavidaRabinowitz.com. We think about great sources of omega-3 fats as a way to be well, a way to control inflammation. But what about the use of omega-3s in fertility and pregnancy? I'm Dr. Michael Magwood, chiropractor specializing in prenatal and pediatric care. Our lesson today is simple. We realize that fertility is improved when proper supplies of omega-3s are ingested, particularly through flax and fish sources. The science shows us that there is a higher conception rate and a lower rate of miscarriage for moms using omegas. DHA supports the nervous system. EPA supports the circulatory system. Increased blood flow to the uterus and decreased sensitivity to the hormone prolaxin, which can suppress ovulation. All of these things matter, and the more omega-3s we get, the better health we have. This is designed to be consumed before conception. In fact, omega-3s have also been shown to support moms at risk of postpartum depression. Food sources of great omega-3 fats are wild fish, flaxseed oil, oil, hemp seeds, pumpkin seeds, sesame seeds, and walnuts. For more information about nutritional health, including omega-3 fats, please contact our offices at Pure Balance Center in Clifton, New Jersey, and in New York City at purebalancecenter.com. We all want 
want to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Allison Carmen, a business consultant, life coach, and author of The Gift of Maybe, offering hope and possibility in uncertain times. Allison's podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, provides simple tools to reduce stress and worry. Allison is here today to discuss regret. Welcome, Allison. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. So, Allison, I know regret is a big issue for many people. Why do you believe it is so difficult for us to let go of regret? Our regrets lead us to believe that we made a mistake in the past, and our lives would have been better today if we made another decision. Whether our story of regret is about failing to start a business, not taking another job, breaking off a relationship, or never going back to school, we are all so sure how a decision we didn't make would have worked out, so it's hard to let go. But what most of us fail to see is that the story of regret is so alluring because it comes with no challenges and no problems, because we never experienced where that decision would have taken us. We all know life is filled with many twists and unexpected turns. We really have no idea if a business we didn't pursue would have been successful. It could have been stressful. We could have made bad decisions or lost clients. And we really have no idea if a love interest we didn't pursue would have blossomed into a long-term happy relationship. In fact, one different decision in our lives could have even landed us in the wrong place at the wrong time, and we wouldn't even be here today. In reality, regret is just a made-up story that we tell, and it makes us suffer. It Mm -hmm. makes us believe that we're not living our best life. It makes us believe that if we made this mistake in our past, our life can no longer work out and things are not the way they're supposed to be. But if we could find a way to let go of regret, we could live with less pain and be open to a brighter future. Allison, as you just said, regret makes people suffer. Do you believe that it holds us back in life? Absolutely, because if we sit with regret long enough, it makes us believe we made a wrong decision in our past, but also that we missed an opportunity and we'll never have a chance again. So in a way, regret from the past keeps us stuck in the present and limited in the future. I've seen so many clients over the years give up their dreams because of old regrets, not going back to school at an older age, not pursuing a new love interest because the old one got away. The more we hold on to regrets, the more confined we feel. Because again, regret is a false story because we don't know how life would have worked out had we made another decision. And what if we could know? What if we were positive that a decision we didn't make would have been wonderful or brought us happiness? It still doesn't mean that the future can't offer us something new. And we have to be careful not to compare the past and the future. They will always be different. And it's advantageous to make the best of whatever is before us. Life is for the living. And all we could do is show up and embrace the changes that life brings our way with an open heart and understanding that life, there is no missing out. There's just a new and different possibility on the horizon if we're willing to let go of the past. I agree with you, Allison. I believe that it's important to let go of our regrets. So what do you advise? What can we do to make that happen? Here's a great exercise your listeners can do to help release regrets that they're holding. First, they can identify a few experiences from the past that still make them feel regretful, unhappy, or hopeless, and even help if they write it down. And then they could ask themselves the following question. Am I absolutely certain that things would be better today if I'd made a different decision during that experience? How do I know that it wouldn't have caused me other problems or an outcome I do not want? And you could spend some time thinking about these questions. And then try to acknowledge that maybe the decision you regret would not have turned out better had you taken a different course. It may not have been better for reasons you cannot even imagine today. In this moment, try to call to mind things in your life you enjoy and cherish. Have you accomplished things that you're proud of? Do you have personal and business relationships that are meaningful to you? Would they all be in your life today had you made another decision besides the one you are regretting? Maybe your accomplishments or the things you cherish most in your life are with you in the present because of the decisions that you have made. Regardless how you think life would have turned out, try to repeat the following to yourself. Within this moment, I let go of my regret, and I embrace the hope that maybe I can create the life I want from this day forward. It could be so challenging to let go of regrets, especially one that we've held for a very long time. But the more you could do exercises like this, you could become more present with more peace and freedom to dream about a new future. And just like you can't know what a different decision would have brought into your life, 
you also can't know the future, and that's so hopeful. Since the future is unknown, that means you get another crack at trying again at an opportunity you didn't take before or decide to explore something new. When you let go of regret, you free yourself from the past, and you can look into the future and say, maybe I could go back to school. Maybe I could start a new business or career. Maybe I could find love. Maybe it doesn't matter what happened before in my life. Maybe this is my time. It's so powerful not to be hijacked by the past and be in this moment with a clean slate with hope for wonderful possibilities for a brighter future. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about this topic, if you would like to learn about Allison and her work, or if you would like to listen to her podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, you can visit her website, alisoncarmen.com. And as always, to hear more from Allison, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Allison. Congratulations. Your child has just finished their college career. Now what? As a young adult, their actions now will dictate what their life is like decades from now and well into their retirement. Here's how you can help them start off on the right foot. Set your budget. Summer is almost over and your child is starting their first career job out of college. Most 21-year-olds can find a way to spend every single penny of their paychecks. Get them to sign up for Personal Capital or Mint.com so they can really get an idea of where their expenses go and help them understand the importance of setting a budget and saving for their future. Don't be ashamed of having your child live at home the first few years of their college career. The average rent is around $1,200 to $1,500 a month. Instead, help them open an investment account. If $1,000 is invested monthly over five years, Assuming a 6.5% growth rate, that final balance is going to be around $70,000. Stretched out over 10 years, and that balance is almost $170,000. Having those type of savings in your mid-20s to early 30s only gives you more career options and flexibility. And finally, add your child as an authorized user on a long-standing, never-paid-late credit card to help boost their credit history and score so when they do buy a home, they get the best interest rates. This is Alfred Cantalina of Beyond BK, arming people with knowledge to live a greater life. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.